Welcome to the 11th episode of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as usual is the League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How is the newest inductee into the Rugby League Commentators Hall of Fame today? Oh, very good. Uh, apparently it went really well. Um, I got some really good feedback from it. And then I put up a poll on my Twitter page and everyone said that I was worse than Braith and Asta, so that was a real body blow. And I don't know why I ended up with a bunch of people that are pricks following me, but uh, I don't like any of yours, so there you go. I, I, <laughs> I did vote for something other than um, Braith and Asta. What, ears bleeding? I don't, I, I don't think anyone deserves that sort of condemnation that early in their career. <laughs> oh, I was devastated. I That's gave pretty... four options, and people were just overwhelmingly the last two. I was like, geez, what did I do wrong? Uh, you left the door open is what you did. <laughs> yeah, so I've just done what every other basically uh, high-profile radio commentator does, and I've just completely dismissed the public. So I'm well on my way. That's right. You, you need to complain about the refs more, mate. That was your problem. Yeah. Yeah, just whinge. I haven't got quite my 100% whinging phase going, so I'll get there eventually. And then I uh, move into bullying. That's that's a natural progression. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> now, today's episode, we've had a few requests about some of this stuff, so we figured we're going to dive in and have a look in salary cap cheating. Um, this is going to be pretty extensive, obviously, so we might just dive straight on in. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah let's get stuck in. I can't wait to see... Who has broken the salary cap and who are the complete clean skins in the game? So let's find out. <laughs> All righty. Well, the salary cap was introduced in 1990. It was around about $1.4 million, I think, from memory at that time. Um, and it only took one year before we had the first salary cap breach, and that was by the Canberra Raiders. And all we know is that they had substantially breached the $1.5 million salary cap for the year. Um, they... Didn't have, they didn't have their premiership taken off them in 1990. They didn't lose any premiership points. They did have a penalty put on their um, salary cap for the following one or two years, I believe. But that was the first big, big cap breach, which compared to, I guess, what happened with the Storm, it, it seems like the, uh, the Raiders got off pretty lightly there. Yeah, definitely. And it, it very sounds... Very much like rugby league administrators, that they'd bring in a salary cap, and then when someone breaks it, they don't really know what they're going to do. <laughs> like, what do we do pretty, now? That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, from there, obviously, um, the salary cap slightly increased, but then Super League came along, and the salary cap pretty much got deleted as mm. clubs were just starting to spend stupid money on players. And I think it was... Was it 90, 1998? There was no salary cap really in place for clubs, and they had about a yeah. year or two to sort of get them get their stuff in order again. Is that right? Yeah, from memory, they had what they did is they had basically a a goal that they wanted to get to with the salary cap, and there were even I think towards two thousand there were teams where they had notional salary values for certain players, and I think maybe what they were including were loyalty payments that players had from, say, the ARL to stick with the ARL. And obviously, they were on massive amounts of money. But these players wouldn't be able to play for any club under the salary cap, so they gave them a notional value. 
and it was normally the notional value to stick with their current club. And so the salary cap basically for uh, during the Super League War and a little bit after it was non-existent but working towards a salary cap after the Super League War. Ah, right. Well, that would explain why in the year 2000, you know, practically half the uh, competition got pinged with fines for breaching the salary cap. Mm. So I'll start with... Uh, Newcastle Knights were fined 158800 after club officials revealed they'd exceeded the cap by $454,100 and failed mm. to disclose third-party payments during 1998 and 1999. Uh, also, the Warriors were fined $100,000 um, for failing to disclose third-party payments in 1998 Six other clubs were fined. Penrith, eighty grand, Canterbury, fifty. Parramatta forty, Melbourne twenty four thousand three hundred, the Roosters twelve thousand eight hundred, and Cronulla six thousand nine hundred. And later on in the two thousand season, the Storm were pinged for another eighty nine thousand nine hundred after it was found they'd exceeded the cap by one hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars during the year. The Broncos okay. were also fined eighty four thousand for exceeding the cap by one hundred eighteen grand and were late lodging documents relating to financial and contract details for ten players during that year. Well, well, at least, you know, they, they as they were trying to get the salary cap under control, and all these clubs started getting fined, and they learned their lesson from this point on, right? That, that's exactly right. Mm. Because no Well, one... that was a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because none of those teams got fined in 2001, only the Cowboys did. Oh, there you go. They didn't learn the lesson of the other clubs, so they got hit with 100 grand for exceeding the cap by 210,000. Mm-hmm. And that was, again, over failing to disclose third-party payments. Yeah. Then, 2002, the Bulldogs were fined a maximum of $500,000 and deducted all 37 premiership points that they'd earned that year after it was found that they committed serious and systematic breaches of the salary cap. It was described by then NRL CEO David Gallup as exceptional in both its size and its deliberate and ongoing nature. The breach totaled $2.13 million over three years. So it was $460 grand in 2000, $750 grand in 2001, and $920 grand in 2002. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing was when it happened too, because they had had an incredible season up until that point, and it was like their entire season hit this amazing crescendo, and then the axe come down on them. And it, it it had all sorts of ramifications. I mean, we all all remember the Oasis project that they had um, going in the background, and they were going to build themselves an indoor stadium, I think, in Liverpool somewhere. And it had so many effects on the club, um, absolutely smashed them. So, the, yeah, that's the first... That's since 1991, because obviously... Oh, 1990, sorry, with the Raiders... The Bulldogs one is the second big cap breach and one that uh, you'd think that teams would have learned from. Yeah, especially given that this one was the first time, I dare say, a club was trying to be sneaky with mm. the salary cap. I don't yeah. think the Raiders were. I think the Raiders were just a bit sort of flagrant slash um, yeah, a bit obvious with it, I guess. Mm. But this one by the Dragons, uh, by the Bulldogs, was quite sneak in in what it was doing, which is why they got hit so hard. Yeah, and and the thing was, too, that they tried to fix it up, too, and look, to their credit, they did to a certain extent because they tried to keep their squad together, and they did manage to because they won a premiership two years later. Um, And you can say, like, 
if you look at it that way, it was worth it. But when you look at the damage to the club's reputation, the way that the media turned on them at that point, the way the opposition fans turned on them at that point, and the damage that was done off the field especially, um, I don't think it was worth it, even for a premiership. No, and that's the thing we find too, is that the media and the fans have very long memories when it comes to this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, also in 2002, um, for minor fines, the Roosters, the Knights, um, Melbourne, the Tigers, and the Broncos, all cop fines ranging between 100, uh, sorry, 149000 and as low as 57000 so they were all yeah. mostly um, third-party agreement uh, breaches as well. Mm, I'm glad that third-party agreements were cleaned up back then too, so we don't have those issues these days. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is why the following year they all kept breaching them again. So yes. the, the storm again. Um, I think it was three years in a row at this stage. They were, they were fine for exceeding the cap, this time by 25 grand, so not big biscuits. Um, there were seven other clubs that were fined in 2003 after a massive crackdown by the NRL after the Canterbury scandal that happened the year before. So Penrith, Newcastle, Brisbane, South, the Warriors, the Bulldogs and the Sharks all cop um, fines between uh, $60,000 and $10,000. So they weren't huge breaches. Not but... too bad, yeah. And you can see where you have technicalities in that you might sign a, pl- a young player on a a deal where if they play a certain number of first-grade games, you've got to up their salary and you might have so many injuries you have to play them. Or you might get a young player that you say, look, if you end up playing rep football, we'll give you an upgraded salary. And then for some reason, they just explode out of nowhere and end up playing rep footy. And so there's there's some of the lower-end salary cap breaches you can understand, um, but it's the ones that are egregious that are the real problem and that the league is looking to stamp out. Yeah. Um, in 2004, we're starting to see a bit of a uh, trend here. I wonder what it leads to. The Melbourne mm. Storm were again fined for the uh, what, third third year in a row, fourth year mm. in five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, this time it was 120 grand after club officials revealed that their former management had failed to disclose third-party payments made between 2001 and 2004. That's interesting, their former management. Mm. So, yeah. Well, it wasn't the Storm's fault. Hopefully the, the current management at that time then knew not to break the salary cap. Yeah, you'd think, you'd think they'd learned from that one. Yeah, um, definitely. Oh, the theme here is just so heavy. <laughs> in a cruel twist, the Bulldogs were fined $82,300 after club officials revealed that they'd fallen below the salary floor by $160,000 oh. And were late in lodging documents relating to financial and contract details of a player from 2003 and 2004. They've gone from being massively over to massively under, and they got pinged again. (laughs) And if you do, again, if you don't. The funny thing is, the NRL had to bring in um, salary cap rules so that there was a floor on what you had to spend. Because as the salary cap was going up and the grant was going up with it, they were starting to get to a point where they were worried that teams were just going to underspend. And the difference between the grant and how much they were actually spending on plays, they were just going to pocket into the club. So they had to put a, a, a low level that you could, you had to spend on players. And that's still in effect today. It does make sense. Mm. 
does make sense because you don't want clubs, you know, abusing the system, I guess, to prop up the prop up the least club or whatever else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so what else do we have there? Uh, four other clubs were fined in 2004, the Dragons, Penrith, the Roosters, and Canberra, and they were between $32,000 and $5,000, so they were wow, pretty small. Very low, yeah. It almost makes you wonder why they bother. Mm. In 2005, the Warriors were fined $430,000 and were ordered to start the season in 2006 with a full premiership point deficit. They also had to cut their payroll by $450,000 after club officials revealed their former management exceeded the cap by $1.1 million during the previous two seasons. Wow. So that's the next biggest uh, salary cap issue. So so far we've had the the Raiders and then the Bulldogs and now it's the Warriors. And I think this is one that people forget all about the Warriors one. Yeah, and I think it's because they didn't have anything to take off them because it it was found in the off-season. Yeah. So they couldn't – it was hard to determine how much to punish them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a title to take off. Not that that was the thing that was happening at the time, but they didn't have any mm-hmm. competition points either. So yeah. it's a bit of a tricky one. It turned out to be just the right amount of premiership points because the Warriors just missed out on the top eight that year. Wow. So there you go. I mean, it's almost the perfect penalty then. Almost. Um yeah, four other clubs were also fined for breaches in 2005. These ones ranged between twenty grand and six and a half grand, and that was the Dragons, Newcastle, Canterbury, and Canberra again. So once again, smaller, smaller breaches, and probably on technical grounds, you would think. Yes, because I think this is around the time too. Or it might be a little bit after they brought in their um, loyalty contracting as well for players who'd been at the club for a long period of time or through juniors and stuff, they got some sort of loyalty discount. Mm-hmm. And subclubs were, I think, a bit unsure as to how to apply it. Yeah, yeah. And I know that the Tigers in future years, when I get to it, were um, they got done because they tried to claim, claim it for Robbie Farrar. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the junior clubs he played for, the NRL deemed it wasn't a West Tigers junior club. Oh, right, some weird right. thing like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, so there's, I think a lot of these are coming about when there's minor tweaks to the way the cap worked because they're not yeah. huge fines. Um, 2006, the Raiders were fined 173 grand after they exceeded the cap by $286,000 and incorrectly lodged documents uh, about 12 players during the 2005 season. Seven other clubs were fined that year, Melbourne, Dragons, Broncos, South, Tigers, Newcastle and the Sharks. Uh, 2007, six clubs were pinged for minor breaches. That was South, Tigers, Canberra, Canterbury, Melbourne, Brisbane. Melbourne seems to be coming up on here a lot. Yeah, and it's uh, 2007, minor breach against the Storm. Interesting. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> and 2006. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, in 2008, five clubs again minor breaches. These ones were between 15 grand and three and a half grand. Uh, Dragons, South, Titans, Bulldogs, and the Tigers. In 2009, seven clubs were fined for minor breaches. The Storm again, Brisbane, Canterbury, Tigers, Penrith, Roosters, and the Titans. Then we get to 2010. Mm hmm. Officials from the storm revealed that the club had committed serious and systematic breaches of the salary cap between 2006 and 2010. 
By running a well-organized dual contract and bookkeeping system, they concealed from the NRL a total of $3.78 million in payments made to players outside of the cap, including $303,000 in 2006, $459,000 in 2007, $957,000 in 2008, $1.021 million in 2009, and $1.04 million in 2010. Wow. Unbelievable. Go on, sorry. I was going to say, as a result, they were stripped of the 2007 and 2009 premierships, the 2006 to 2008 minor premierships, the 2010 World Club Challenge Trophy, and fined a record $1.689 million. $1.1 million in NRL prize money was equally distributed between the remaining 15 NRL clubs. Eighty-nine grand in prize money from the World Club Challenge was given to the Leeds Rhinos, and the maximum of $500,000 was uh, fine was handed to the club for breach and Sutter Cup regulations. They were also ordered to cut their payroll by $1.0125 million, reduce to zero competition points for 2010. It was just... It was cheating on a scale that had never been seen before. And mm. to this day, it, it's become the benchmark. Almost, almost to the point where um, people now use this as what should be the standard response to Sutter Cap cheating, which is in my opinion, a little bit wrong. Okay. So, uh, and the, the weird thing about it too was that I consider this to be the moment that Melbourne turned from a franchise into a club because they got absolutely hammered. And uh, I remember the media storm around it, and so to speak, and it was almost like it was the moment that Storm fans and the wider Melbourne public, and I know that they're not the most popular team in Melbourne, sporting team in Melbourne, but it was like all of a sudden everyone was like, hey, they're they're messing with our Storm. Like they've smashed our Storm club. They've taken away our premierships. And I really do. I feel like that was the moment that made the club in a funny way. Um, Also, you've got to look back and think they had been self-reporting these small salary cap breaches, the balls on the storm to be going to the NRL and saying, look, we've breached the cap by a little bit. When they were breaching their cap by hundreds of thousands and then a million plus dollars, the balls on them to be putting those small cap breaches forward, unbelievable when you think about it that way. It was, um, it was crafty. Yeah, it was really. It's, it's almost like they're saying, you know, we're being honest. You don't need to look at what we're doing. Yeah, because we're self-reporting the fact that we've breached the contract, and we're sorry about that. And this one, as we know, it was a whistleblower who revealed this one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was insane. So in the end, um, the club's CEO Brian Waldron, financial officers Matt Hanson, Paul Gregor, Cameron Vale were all suspended for life from the NRL. Mm-hmm. Um. This this one involved um, legal actions by former directors against the club. All of that collapsed and didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the matter was referred to ASIC, the ATO, the Victorian State Revenue Office, and the Victorian Police. The, the amount of, let's be honest, it was fraud that was going on. That's why the police is involved. Mm. It's just on a it's on a scale you just couldn't believe. Yeah, and, incredible. And and both like talk about. Boats, and um, I remember there was talk about getting like vouchers or something from an electrical store that I won't name unless they want to pay sponsorship money. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it was 
it it really was unbelievable. And and also the thing to remember at the time was everybody had looked at the Storm as this great club. It was the the new millennium's great club for rugby league, and they were churning out all these young players, and their lineup was outstanding. And the idea was that they were taking the players were taking less money to stay there, and they just had everything working in the right direction. The other thing is they were part owned by News Limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think they were completely owned by News Limited. Yeah, at I think the time. they were, yeah. Yeah, and News Limited owned half of the NRL at the time. So this was terribly embarrassing for News Limited. And uh, I think that I, th- I genuinely think that they were disgusted when they found out what was happening because it was the very last thing they needed. Yeah, it was. It's one of those things where, um, because it was so big in scale, I don't think anyone, um, journalists, commentators, even people in the public, understood how you would punish that. Mm. And there were still mixed reactions over the punishments handed down. Um, mm. I can see both sides of the argument with the stripping of the premierships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was an illegal side, so yes, they sh- they didn't deserve to have the titles. Mm-hmm. The problem I the only problem I have with taking the premierships away is that, in my view, that punishes the players and the fans and not the people who actually committed the act, which was the administrators. Um, yeah, so as, but as I said, it's a 50-50 thing. I don't, I'm not leaning one way or the other, but that's the problem I have with that because the players don't dictate what goes on with you know, salaries and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it was unfair to... The, the criticism the players copped because a lot of people they they were saying well the players must have known and and I remember the players at the time saying look we don't know what each other is earning like it's not like they sit around talking about because that would cause friction in a, in a locker room if you started doing that That's right. um, they might have a general idea and in some circumstances they might know for sure because they want to earn you know, they, they deserve to be the top earner at a club. But it's not like you know what everyone is earning. And, you know, they're, they're there to play football. They're not there to do the sums on the salary cap. That's right. They're, they're fine football players, not accountants. Yeah. You know, and they're not going to sit there and know what everyone's on. That's not, that's none of their individual businesses. So, you know, even if, even with the argument, you know, they should have known something was wrong when they were signing two contracts. Again, that's not the player's responsibility. That is an administration debacle. Yep. Um, and if you're a player, knowing that you've only got 15 years maximum of a career there, you're going to take what's offered to you. And if you're mm. of the impression that the club can afford it, then you're not going to say no. You know, it's because you've got 15 years to earn you, essentially, for a lot of these players, your lifetime salary. Yeah. You're going to take and what's going to be thrown at you. Exactly. And the boat. And, and the big screen TV. <laughs> That's exactly right. In the extensions to the house. Yeah, yeah. Of God knows what else. Yeah. And the electricity vouchers and all those light bulbs. <laughs> just standard. It's just standard, absolutely. Um, so there were five other clubs that were fined in 2010. I bet they might have been cracking themselves a bit after what happened to the oh, store. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully they weren't big ones. So Parramatta, the Dragons, the Broncos, the Roosters, and Canberra. Canberra got a $1,800 fine that year. 
Wow. I wonder I wonder what their breach was like. I dare say it might have been someone in the second tier who may have played like three minutes in first grade. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did a training run when they <laughs> were exposed to or something. Pretty much about it. Um, in 2011, the Tigers were fined $187,000 after they'd exceeded the cap by 374300 in 2010. Um, that's a fair whack. That was a fair whack. They were pretty lucky not to have any other punishments. Um, and they still made the finals that in 2010 and 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time they were in the finals, actually. Uh, <laughs> the Titans, Parramatta, Raiders, and the Dragons also fined for uh, cap breaches during 2010. The Titans were also fined for losing documents relating to the financial and contract details of one or two Toyota Cup players, I believe. Well, you know, you just lose stuff, don't you? Yeah. Like, where would you keep it? At the club? <laughs> In a bag somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Steady. Okay. 2012, four clubs were fined for minor breaches. Parramatta, Titans, Penrith, and the Raiders. At the end of the 2014 season, the Dragons were fined 87 grand. Also, the Titans were fined $300,000 after an investigation into the club found quite a lot of, um, I suppose, mismanagement was going on at the time. Mm. Um, 2015... Parramatta were fined a total of $465,000 for breaching the salary cap in the 2014 season. Yeah, and they I mean, we, we've heard Parramatta again and again recently for a lot of these cap breaches. So it's like they built up for something special. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it just astounds me that clubs would still be making these, these um, attempts to try and cheat the cap after what had happened to... The storm, yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's uh, it's like you would think that they were put on notice, and they just weren't. It's very strange. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It, it's as I said, you just think they'd learn from it. But anyway, mm. after copping that four hundred sixty-five grand fine in twenty fifteen, they decided to um, double double down, I guess. In 2016, they'll find a million dollars and stripped of their 2016 um, NRL Auckland Knights title, which would have hurt. Mm-hmm. After they were found to be over the salary cap by over $500,000, they were also stripped of 12 competition points they'd earned that year, and they were not allowed to earn any more points until they fell back under the cap and were compliant. It's an interesting penalty. Um, didn't have a premiership to strip from them, so that's one thing to consider. Um, you know... Not playing for competition points until you're under the cap. I don't know how I feel about that because you get to a certain position by being over the cap. And I don't know that getting under the cap by a certain point just clears the way for you and everything's okay from that point on. I feel like once you've broken it for a season that that should be it. But that's my point of view. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that um, because... Essentially, the the squad that you build that you take into the NRL, um, you know, the 17 or 18 key players that you rely on there week to week, you could probably keep them all together and just mm-hmm. dish off a bunch of bloody 19-year-olds just to do enough to get you back under the cap. Yeah. And therefore, the team hasn't really lost much. Exactly, exactly. So it is a bit of a dicey one. Um, mm-hmm. I do like 
what they did in, in um, 2018 with Manly, which we'll get to in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, Canterbury was fined 61 grand. I just found that breached the cap by 81,000 during 2016. Canberra were fined 84 grand for a similar breach of the uh, sorry for that was for a 16,000 dollar breach of the second tier in NYC caps. Which is just a, like I mean, now that you st- and at this point in the game, you've got so many contracts across so many grades. Things like that are going to happen at some point. You know, you get players that are injured. You bring in players up and down the grades. I, I don't think anybody really has an issue with those sort of cap breaches where it's it really is just uh, very small scale. Yeah, and I think at this stage too, most of the ones we'd seen in in and around the uh, this period and the, about the 10 years before were mostly second-tier ones where you bring them up players because of injuries and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. I thought was a little bit cruel because you can't run out with 14 players or something like that. You've got to have a full side. So yeah. I always thought the NRL should have a few concessions set aside for when players have been brought up because of injury. Yeah, and I think now that they also expanded the squad size, size yeah. from memory from 25 to 30, That's and they right. brought in the minimum salary as well, which I'm sure helped with uh, a lot of those things because then a club knew that they could have lower-grade players, but then they had other players that were on a set amount, and they knew what that amount was going to be at the start of the year. Yeah, I'd long argued and, and wrote about it too a few times that it was nonsense that the the uh, NRL, um, you know, squad size had to be 25 because I think I'd found something like the last time every team in the competition had used 25 players or less was something like in the 1950s somewhere. Oh, wow. That's incredible. It was was just nonsense trying to enforce that on there when every every club was going to use more than 25 players, which meant Mm -hmm. you're automatically going to be putting pressure on the second tier cap. Yeah. It it made common sense that they put it up to 30. Mm-hmm. Took took too long for that common sense, though. Maybe they like the fact that they're getting all this money from fines. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2018, Manly were fined 750 grand. Two club officials received 12 month bans after the NRL found that they'd breached the salary cap over the previous five years. The breaches involved 15 players and totaled $1.5 million. What they did after that is they reduced the amount they could spend on the salary cap for the few, for was it two future years? Or three uh, years, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't Which know I think exactly is, uh, how long it was for. I, I, feel, I that felt method. like it was one year, but I could be wrong on that. Oh, you could be wrong. Well, I could be wrong. Who knows? We've, we've done our research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, something happened to them. Take yeah. it from us. <laughs> I'm, I must admit, though, I kind of like the the idea of, of giving them a handicap in the salary cap for yeah, future so seasons. Yeah. I think that makes more sense than docking points on the ladder or, you know, for part of the year or something like that. Yeah, definitely. It, it's uh, That is a massive, massive blow to a club. Like, there are clubs that would write you a check if, if you find them, but you can't get around how difficult it is to... I mean, you could start a season with a, salary, a team salary that's $500,000 less than your opponents, and that can be huge. Exactly. Especially over the course of the whole season. Yes. Now, uh, 2019, this year, we had two big salary cap breaches. We'll just start with this one here because it's got less to talk about. Um, the West Tigers were fined 750 grand after an undeclared arrangement 
worth around $639,000 over four years to Robbie Farah to be their club ambassador after he retired. Um, this also led to the deregistration of CEO Justin Pascoe. The thing that's silly about this, I guess, is nothing was actually signed by the Tigers, so they're being pinged for intent. And I'll be honest, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Um, the other you silly thing it. is every you club does these, these arrangements with players for you know being ambassadors and stuff like that. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a part of that. And look, I don't think anybody has too much of an issue if you have somebody as a club ambassador who actually does stuff for the club and actually, you know, performs the role. Um, I wouldn't even mind to see a standard thing brought in maybe by the NRL where they say, look, you can't have a club ambassador and this is how much they they can earn. This is the limit for however many years. Uh, the thing about this one, which is pretty amazing, is that they had an undisclosed arrangement that they disclosed publicly in the media. <laughs> and that takes a special sort of club to do something like that. Um, absolutely... You know, I know the old club, but man, that's special. Yeah, special. <laughs> I, think, I think that's possibly the um, the the best way to to describe it without swearing too much. Yeah, I mean um, that's an IQ failure. It was just <laughs> that's an IQ test, you know. So it's stupid! Like, wow, what were they it's, thinking? See, and I know there's a lot of Tigers fans who disagree with me on this one, and mm-hmm. I completely agree with Justin Pascoe being deregistered, and I don't want him back at the club because that sort of stupidity is not the sort of person I want running a, a football club in the future. If you can't get something like that right, you just go away, seriously. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, there's things that we've already talked about in this list of players that, like, losing documents and things like that, it makes you wonder, like, what the hell are these people doing? Like, yeah. what? Do you, where are you put? Like, their documents. Well, it's they shouldn't be just physical pieces of paper. Like, what the hell? But you know, it's rugby league. Not some of the stories I have heard. I'm not surprised that they are physical bits of paper that are getting lost. So let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, the other one, which um, I'm sure you'll have a bit more to say about. Um, the Cronulla Sharks also copped a $750,000 salary uh, fine for breaching the salary cap. Um, those breaches went back to 2013. 500000 of that was suspended due to the club's self-reporting. Um, it was reported that the, they were over the cap between 2013 and 2017, but not in 2016, and that was declared by the NRL as compliant. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, first of all... You know, to to be able to go back that far and find that there'd been stuff going on is absolutely incredible. The second thing is that for them to be cap compliant in the one year that they won a premiership <laughs> is absolutely extraordinary. And the third thing is how much of a advantage did they have leading into that season and coming out of that season because they were over the cap? Um you know, if they'd have been stripped of their title, I wouldn't have had any problems with it because we had seen the NRL uh, look at clubs that had systematically 
abused the salary cap rules and had smashed clubs. And this seemed to be one of those instances. And I think that it is an absolute miracle that the Sharks still have their title. But here's the thing, and we're going to look at this going forward because we've got to the end. We're Obviously, we're in 2019. Yep. Some of these teams that have had major cap breaches would be the beneficiaries if there were no major cap breaches. And you've done some incredible work to look at all of this. I've done none of it. I cannot <laughs> wait to hear how the seasons would look if we had changed them because of these salary cap breaches. Yeah, so, okay, I used a um, an interesting little system whereby mm-hmm. the salary cap cheating side had their score in each game halved and their opponent's yep. score was doubled. Okay. Right. Um, so I managed to go through and rearrange the ladders for each year where there was a major breach that went on to determine mm-hmm. who should have been in the finals and in the grand finals and who would have won. So, so just to make it clear, right, the major breaches. So let's make it clear, first of all, the only teams that had breached the cap in any way were the Canberra Raiders, the Newcastle Knights, the New Zealand Warriors, the Melbourne Storm, the Brisbane Broncos, the Penrith Panthers, the Canterbury Bulldogs, the Parramatta Eels, the Sydney Roosters, the Cronulla Sharks, the North Queensland Cowboys, the Wests Tigers, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, the Gold Coast Titans, and the Manly Seagulls. Apart from that, every other team was fine. Yeah. Uh, now, the major cap breaches were by the Wait. Canberra Raiders. Yep. The Were they the New Zealand Warriors at the time? Yeah, they were the New Zealand Warriors at the time. So the New yep. Zealand Warriors. The Melbourne Storm, the Canterbury Bulldogs, and the Parramatta Eels. And I guess, I mean, man, I would chuck in the Sharks in that list too, personally. Would you chuck the Sharks in that list? Well, what I've based this on was, aside from the the Raiders one, because I don't know how much they were over by, but Mm -hmm. I'm based this on teams who exceeded the salary cap by at least half a million dollars in one season. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Sharks probably should, but I haven't included them because... They looked like they were, they they had cheated the cap, but it wasn't by um, a ridiculous volume of money. Okay. Um, same with Manly one. But, Maybe uh, if if we got forwarded the same email to Flanagan forward to the club, yeah. it would clear it up for us. You know, it's probably in my old Hotmail account somewhere. Yeah, I should, probably. Should have a look. <laughs> <laughs> so in. Uh, Yes, I had that system, and in the finals, what I've done is I've used the ladder positions of the finalists, you know, of the actual ladder at the time, Yep. and then after I readjusted them, I used the same ladder positions to determine who won. So, say, um, what's a good example? Say, in one year, one it was first versus second in the grand final. Mm-hmm. After I've readjusted the ladder, I've kept the grand finals between first and second. Okay. okay. I kept, All right. I kept I the winners the same. Yeah. Okay. So, in 1990, mm-hmm. the year Canberra were pinged, the Knights moved from sixth place into fourth to make their first finals campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brisbane would have beaten Penrith in the grand final, and Canberra would have gone from minor premiers down to 14th place on the ladder. 
Wow, so something interesting there. Um, Brisbane, after just being in the competition a few years, premiers, like yeah. 1990, two years. That's incredible. Uh, would I be wrong in saying Wally Lewis, premiership winner? That's right. Which would be How massive. Would change things the following year? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, massive for his legacy. So very interesting, that one. Absolutely. Uh, 1991, the Bulldogs go from sixth place to third, and the Dragons go from ninth to fifth. The Dragons would then beat the Magpies in the playoff, and in the grand final, Penrith still wins, but instead of beating Canberra, they beat North Sydney. Canberra runs dead last. Uh, sorry, Canberra wins third, uh, second last. Okay, and we so beat North Sydney. Wow. Beat the Bears in the grand final. Wow. Can you imagine how their 80 year old fans would be talking about that one today? <laughs> I don't think they'd be comparing it with their grand final win in 1922, that's for sure. Probably not. That was a good year. Onions <laughs> were onions were the thing in that year. <laughs> they were in. Um, in 2002, the ninth place, Northern Eagles pushed Canberra out of eighth place. And in the grand final, Cronulla beats Brisbane and the Bulldogs run dead last. Wow, 2002. That's incredible. So who's the premiers in 2002 again? The Sharks. That's amazing. So the Sharks actually benefit from the cheaters being out of there. That's that's amazing. And it's it's the replay of the '97 Super League Grand Final, and this time they get they get their uh, revenge. Wow, that's incredible. Okay. Um, in 2004, there were no changes to the top eight or the grand final where the Bulldogs beat the Roosters. Um, difference was the Warriors got the spoon, not Penrith, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, 2004? No, no, 2000. Uh, South, South got the spoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, Penrith fans. Well, you know, come on, man. 2000, <laughs> 2004, actually, oh. I felt like our team was better, and but that Bulldogs team was very, very good. Uh, 2005? The Roosters jump from ninth to eighth, and the Sharks drop out of the top eight. The Tigers still win their maiden title, but this time they beat the Storm instead of the Cowboys, and the Warriors run last. Wow, far out. Uh, in 2006, the Warriors get their four points back because they were punished for their breach in 2005. This, is, this was enough to see them move from 10th into 7th. The grand final saw the Dragons beat the Bulldogs, and the Storm finished last. So the Dragons are premiers. Wow, that changes a fair few things as well. Yeah. Um, in 2007, the Tigers go from ninth into eighth and Manly wins the grand final beating the Warriors and the Storm collect another wooden spoon. There you go. And the Warriors in the grand final. I like that. Uh, 2008, Newcastle moves from ninth to eighth and the grand final sees Cronulla win their second premiership, this time over Manly. And Melbourne finishes third last. Two premierships for man, that's incredible. And how does this change the Sharks in all that time? Two premierships in six years. I mean, that's huge. And that's... you look at the the legacy of some of the players in the in the Sharks teams. Mm. How that changes going forward. Exactly. It's uh, it's a it's pretty crazy. Obviously, it's all hypothetical. That's pretty crazy how that happens because two thousand and eight. Um, Cronulla, Manly and Melbourne were all on equal competition points at the top of the ladder. Mm-hmm. So that's even quite a plausible uh, situation there. Yeah, it's not it's not outrageous, yeah. 
2009, the Cowboys jump from 12th to 7th and the Tigers from 9th to 8th, while Parramatta drops down to 10th place out of the finals race. This results in merely beating the West Tigers in the grand final as the Storm grabs their third spoon in four years. Wow, the West Tigers, hey? It's not a bad year for them. No. Uh, 2010, very little change. The Raiders moved from 7th to 4th. The grand final saw the Dragons beat the Warriors and Melbourne come second last. Something there. The Warriors have been in two grand finals in the last few years. Bit of a dynasty there. Yeah. Uh, and 2016, next to no change, the Dogs move from seventh to fifth. Um, the grand final remains unchanged. Sharks win their third title, this time over Melbourne, and Parramatta remains in 14th place. Wow, Parramatta. So, yeah, and I mean, Parramatta were breaking the cap to not win anything, which is, you know, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so after that, we found that the Sharks would have three titles by now instead of just one. Yeah, so they're basically, weirdly enough, uh, the biggest beneficiaries. I think that you would also say that the Warriors as well, they were the Warriors, a big... Yeah, the Warriors and the Tigers also benefited a fair bit out of it. They all mm. The Tigers played in more final series. Um, yeah. The Warriors definitely got a few more grand finals out of it too. Incredible. So, wow, it makes you think about all of the things that have changed in the league's history uh, in recent years just because of teams that were cheating the cap and, you know, if they'd been really smashed by by penalties, how things would be so much different. I mean, can you imagine if the Sharks right now had three premierships? That would be... So it would change the club. It would have to. Yeah, well, I'd I'd think that if that if that actually did happen, I don't think they'd have been in a situation where they would have even gone to Stephen Dank and all that crap with the side they went through. And for we know we'd be looking at players like Paul Gallon in a completely different light and Shane Flanagan as well, I guess. Definitely, most definitely. I mean, it's kind of sad to think about, really, isn't it? Because let's be honest, the the success that the Sharks have had has been tainted in the eyes of most people that aren't Sharks fans. And it's kind of sad to think about the club that everyone used to be behind and kind of hoped that it would one day win a title. It could have had this incredible success and instead is, you know, kind of where it is now where um, they don't have many friends outside of, their own supporters. I find that sad, personally. Yeah, they've got. To, they're starting to build up a bit of a um, siege mentality there now, and mm. it's understandable too, given that um, one of the uh, media's biggest, should I say, muckrakers? I don't know. Um, is a is a big supporter of them. So whenever he's running a bit <laughs> short on stories, he'll go there and and dig up some dirt on the club and run that instead to keep himself <laughs> occupied. It's... It's it's really I, I don't like it when clubs do that siege mentality thing. I think that it is um in the long term it's detrimental to them. And I think we're seeing that with Manly at the moment. Exactly. Uh, you can't keep saying, Well, it's us against them, it's us against them because you lose sight of just embracing new fans, I guess, and, and wanting and people that are maybe undecided on who to support deciding to pick your club um i would always want to have a club that people kind of want to support or neutrals want to support 
rather than being a hated club. And, you know, there is something in being a hated club if you're winning lots of games. But it can't be good for your bottom line. And, and I, yeah, I find something a bit off-putting about it. And I, I find something sad about it because I feel like I would rather clubs be celebrated than hated across the entire league. And I fully agree. Um, I think every club should be at their trying to promote themselves to be everyone's second team, mm. you know, because that's, that's a pretty good place to be as well because you're setting a good example across the league everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you because you can't keep winning all the time because squads are going to change, coaches are going to change. Every club's going to go through a bad point at some point. And when those bad points come along, that siege mentality really does come back and bite your heart in the backside. Yeah, it really does. Um now, with all of this in mind, where in 2019 we've had salary cap breaches found this year by clubs, um, do you think that the salary cap, without without saying any club in particular is breaking it, do you think that it works? Do you think that it does the job it's intended to do? And do you think that clubs are still finding ways to break it? Um, I think I'd probably say yes to all of that. Look, I think the salary cap is brilliant, mm-hmm. and um, the problem we've got with it uh, isn't the cap itself. It's the fact that so much of these um, breaches haven't been through the auditors finding them. They've been from self-reporting or yeah. whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what needs to change is the way the salary cap is audited. And I've had a crazy idea where... I think every club's salary cap should be done through the NRL. So yeah. The NRL I, has their own mob, and they just say, right, yep. we've got down here, this is how much money you've got in your cap. Okay, you have to send us your contracts with players that you negotiate with, and we will adjust that and adjust your cap and tell you what you've got left to spend. And that way, the NRL's watching everything. Um, if, if it's got to get to that level, then so be it. But something's got to happen because, yeah, as we found with Parramatta, the Sharks, um, the Tigers, it didn't matter what happened to the Storm and what, what they did there. Clubs are still trying to find a way to, to get around the system. And we've got to try and find a way to stop that. So I think my question back to you is, a lot of this comes back to third-party arrangements. Should they be scrapped? See, I don't think they should be scrapped. Um, I think it's an element that our our sports stars in rugby league should have that available to them. And I have no problems where if you get a superstar player and look, I'll pick Benji Marshall, for example, when he was at his best, I want to see Benji Marshall be able to make the most amount of money he can while he's playing at the best of his abilities. And I want to see private companies be able to go to him and say, look, we want you to be sporting our shoes. We want you to be driving our cars. We want you to be, wearing our watches, whatever the case may be, and he be able to, without any problems, take up those opportunities. Um, And I I don't have any problems with that. You do get an issue where you get a club like Canberra that or Newcastle is another example where they don't have the corporate base for that. But I think that will change with the changing landscape in the media. And, like, I mean, you look at, Kalen Ponga, I think that he could be 
somebody that uh, could have a marketing campaign in Sydney or across across Australia and still be a big enough star in Newcastle. Um, and, and the only problem I guess you have is those plays getting exposure on free-to-air TV. That's where you do run into a problem because those stars need to be on free-to-air TV regularly for that to happen. So I've got no problems with third-party agreements at all. And I did, I think I wrote an article a number of years ago that I questioned why the NRL itself couldn't be the ones that pay the players' wages. And I can see where there would have been an issue at one point with that happening because the NRL was half-owned by News Limited and News Limited are a news organisation. And uh, I can see where players would see that as a privacy issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that would be a privacy issue these days. No. Um, and I can't see a reason why the NRL couldn't be the one paying the players' wages. I, I just can't see any reason why it would be a bad thing. But obviously clubs want to have full control over that. I understand that as well. But I, at the same time, and, and look, they're all rugby league administrators, I don't trust rugby league administrators in general. And it's not it's just about integrity. It's about their capacity to do the job in any effective way. I think that just when we went through that list, we saw a lot of mistakes. I think we saw a lot of teams that obviously got into bad situations that were maybe exacerbated by injuries or, you know, players having to be called up, the smaller squad sizes and things like that. But at the end of the day, I, I do not blame a single player for any salary cap issue. It is all on the administrators and they're the ones that really let the game down time and time again. And I think this is just another example of that. Yeah, good points, mate. I I was wondering whether um, players should sign a contract based on what the club thinks they're worth. And if they want to earn money outside that, then the players should do that themselves. And it shouldn't be done with anyone affiliated with the club they're playing with mm. or any of their sponsors. Well, that's how um, it's supposed to be. That's, yeah, but at the yeah. moment, you, you know that clubs are sitting there saying, oh, yeah, we're going to offer you $500,000 and we can get you another hundred grand on the side doing this work and with our sponsors and stuff like that. And, yeah. Or however it works. It's some sort of weird system anyway. And there's a blurring of the lines that goes on. And I think that's where a lot of the issue comes in is that clubs are trying to reduce the impact of players' salaries on their salary cap mm-hmm. by filling, topping it up with third-party arrangements elsewhere. Um and that's part of the problem, I guess. Yeah, and, and that's I would suggest that that's the main issue that they really have. I don't think that a normal third-party agreement is the problem. I think that the real problem is, as you say, it's a club saying, we'll come here, we'll sign you for $600,000, but we've also lined up a sponsor for you. I also question some of the sponsorship deals in turn. And look, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but... Like, I don't know what car players drive. Like, I find it weird when a player gets has a car sponsorship deal. It, that seems very strange to me that that would be some sort of sponsorship deal. I completely understand when you've got a marketing campaign around it, but when there's no marketing campaign, I, I just kind of wonder what it's all about. Yeah, it's... some. You know, we could probably laugh about some of the stuff. I mean, I remember Benji Marshall had a a deal where he's advertising those weird 
wristband things that had yeah, a magnet in or something like that. <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. to do with balance or something. But I, went, I, think yeah. it, I don't yeah. even think it was a magnet. I think it was like a hologram or something. Yeah, or something weird. It yeah. It's it supposed to improve the balance, but it didn't stop him kicking the ball out on the floor or throwing foot passes and throw E. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't. It wasn't the best person to get to advertise those. <laughs> uh, yeah, God, it's it's funny how much stuff goes on there. Um, so I suppose would a way around the third party arrangements issues that we've got be reduced if the salary cap was increased even further, or would would um, players and and um, player managers and stuff like that just see as an opportunity to just try and jack more money out of clubs. That's a really good question. I think that I think there's definitely going to be less issues as the cap goes up and I mean these days if you had say a breach of say $500,000 it's still a lot of money, but it's not the same percentage of the salary cap as it was in say 2002. So it's it it's just a lot more money changing hands and you you do have a bigger scope to have issues crop up. And the good thing is these days players are getting paid their true mark or closer to their true market value where that wasn't happening in the early noughties where players were taking massive cuts to stay in the game. Some players didn't stay in the game. Some players left and some players went over to Super League as well. So I think that these days we we probably have more million-dollar players than we've ever had before in the game's history, maybe outside the Super League war anyway. Um, and so I think that you probably would see less of an issue with the third-party agreements. But then again, I mean, and this is where it comes down to, how many third-party agreements do you think most clubs really need? I mean, if you think of a club's star players... How many star, true star players are there at a club? And But then you can also ask the question, if, you know, an average first-grade winger, for whatever reason, can get a shoe deal, is there any reason to deny him that shoe deal because you think that a third-party agreement should just be with the star players? It's, you know, it's a very grey area. It's not something you can just say, well, you're only allowed three third-party agreements at your club because... I don't ever agree with cutting down on what a player's earning capacity could be. And it also puts in place like roadblocks. Like what if you get a player that's maybe a middle of the road first grade player, but he's just really good at negotiating third party agreements for himself. (laughs) He shouldn't be stopped from, you know, and it might not even just be third party agreements. He might be setting up business businesses for himself and th- and opportunities like that and you can't have the nrl then step in and say well you're not allowed to be too successful it it i would hate to see that happen um so it's a it's very much a gray area the third party agreement i kind of would like it to be a free-for-all personally so there's no no issues with it but then you do have to crack down on clubs setting them up themselves and and i think that that's one area that has not really been sorted out yet by the NRL. Well, that leads me to one more question. That was perhaps what should happen, and this ties in with what I was saying before about the storm there, is that the punishment should be high for administrators who not only break um, the salary cap rules, but also intend to, even just showing intent to try and breach the rules. Mm-hmm. Should the punishments be high? And I'm talking about don't just ban them for life, have them tried by police and potentially go to jail. 
something that's going to scare them out of trying to do this crap because we're still finding clubs are still trying to find ways around the cap and Mm -hmm. it's administrators not players that are doing it and i think the punishment on play on the administrators themselves is far too weak the clubs are getting punished the fans are getting punished the players are getting punished but the people who actually commit the 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 act of cheating yeah generally they walk away with very little damage to themselves yeah, see, I mean, it's only a legal matter if it's a legal matter. I mean, the police are only going to get involved if it's fraud. And we have seen cases like that where the police have got involved. Um, and in those cases, I mean, if you're an administrator that was involved in that sort of thing, you must look in the mirror at the end of the day and think, what was I doing for a game of football, you know? Um so I don't know that the police are going to get involved outside of it being a legal issue. Um, and But then when it comes to... And look at look at the life ban that they've given to Shane Flanagan. A lot of times a life ban in rugby league is really a life ban just from the top grade. Um, or, and other competitions will be open to having those people come into their competition. You know, rugby league is very has a very long history of a ban being placed on somebody and it then everybody looks at ways to get around that ban. So, you know, I I don't know how how good life bans are in rugby league at the moment, although Flanagan's does genuinely seem that seem that way at the moment anyway. Um the other thing I would say is if you're an administrator at a club and you break the cap and you knowingly break the cap and you win the title and you celebrate and everyone loves you and then it's found out later on down the track three years later that you broke the cap and you've got to leave the club and maybe never go back as an administrative role for life. Do you care at that point? That's a very good question. And so I wonder if perhaps instead of going to jail that huge chunks of these fines that clubs get should be paid by the administrators, not so much the club, unless mm. it's been found that the club itself as a whole was involved in the cheating. But I think something needs to be done to make sure the administrators have this constant axe hanging over their head saying, mm. don't you stuff up because that thing's going to fall. You're going to regret it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, big on, I'm big on punishments also working as deterrents. Um, I don't know if that makes me some sort of status or something like that, but I, I think that there's not much point having a punishment if it doesn't try and deter the action from being done again. Definitely. And, and that's where I think maybe you would... I think the thing that would hurt a club more than anything would be to either have a penalty against your salary cap. So, like, and we, we saw we did see an instance of that with the Manly Seagulls where they had to, they, there was a certain amount of the salary cap they just couldn't use. And that's terrible for a club to have to go through that. I would maybe like to see that extended for a certain number of seasons. I think that that would be a massive deterrent, even if it meant, you know, winning a premiership and then you get found out for breaking the cap. If you've then got $500,000 less every year for five years to spend than everyone else, you're looking at a really, really terrible time for your club. 
and then you've got to question whether that's worth it. On top of uh, fines by the by the NRL and administrators being forced to leave the club, um, I would think that that would be a big enough deterrent um, because you would you would lose star players, you would find it hard to attract players to your club for a long time, you'd find it hard to keep players that were in your lower grades because they'd know that if they got to first grade, they're playing with a handicapped team. It would be a very, very big penalty. But then you also have to look at it from another point of view. Do you want to kill clubs for it? And I don't think you want to kill clubs for it either. So it's not as black and white as it seems. And I don't think that there's any one answer. And maybe that's why we've seen so many different sorts of penalties brought in by the NRL. I'm sure there have been times that the NRL have sat down with the club and the club have said, listen, if you fine us X amount of dollars, we need to hand back our license. And that's maybe why we've seen some of the um, smaller penalties being put in place against certain clubs. Because I'm I'm sure that there are clubs that if you smash them like you did the say the Bulldogs or the the Storm in particular, they they might just fold immediately because they can't pay the fines. Um, and you, I don't think you'll want to get to that point either. No, that is a, a very um, often forgotten point too, which is uh, very good to raise because um, I'm pretty sure. Obviously, this needs to be verified, but I was doing match reports for the Melbourne Storm reserve grade team, New South Wales Cup team in 2010. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a New South Wales Cup team um, the following year or any year after that. They had to merge with Cronulla for one or two seasons. And then they they just don't have a New South Wales Cup team anymore. And I assume that that's part and parcel of the massive um, fine that they received from the NRL. Mm -hmm. And that sort of ties in with, like, if that is the case, then they haven't punished the right area when they punish the club because they've ruined junior rugby league in the state to a degree. And yeah, exactly. That's not helpful. I mean, that's where your cheaper players are going to come from. That that wasn't the area that needed punishing, but that's the one that got punished heavily. So that's the problem I have with these massive fines and stripping premierships from clubs. I can understand why they should be taken, and I'm not 100% opposed to it, but I just think... I'm not sure that it's punishing the right people. Mm-hmm. And, and the other issue. thing, the other thing we've seen too with every single one of these cases, how many of the stars that they really wanted to keep did they any of them lose? And I would be willing to say none of them. Uh, they would lose lower end players. They'd lose middle, you know, middling players in their team. Some solid players, some you know, good players, but they're superstars the ones they really, really wanted to keep, they kept every single one of them, every single yep. club. And that's, as you say, the the cost cutting is not made at the top end. It's made at the bottom end. And, you know, that need, that need that's part of the problem with the, the, the penalties that have been put in place. It, it needs to be looked at so that and we're going to get clubs that do it in the future because while you know it's just the trend now um and their rugby league administrators at the end of the day they're going to stuff up they're going to make mistakes and these are just mistakes that they're and when i say mistakes i mean mistakes in judgment 
not so much technical mistakes. Um, the NRL needs to look at in the future ways that they can affect a club's higher end. That might even come down to the NRL saying you need to lose, you know, your top two salaries, salary players. You need to get rid of them. I don't know. But it, it definitely needs looked at how they handle this going forward. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of little things there which, which make up a lot of these issues. And sadly, um, the the game isn't being played in the same spirit it once was. And that's, that's evident off the field and on the field. Because mm-hmm. teams are always looking for ways around the rules. You know, like the storm with the wrestling and the, the illegal holds and stuff like that. Um you know, diving, how that's become something that people do to, to try and get a penalty. And, you know, they're not, this is not stuff that's in the spirit of the game. And this trying to cheat behind the scenes, it's it's the worst kind out there because it's not in the public eye. It's behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it generally doesn't get found by the NRL. It comes down when clubs have, a, have someone with a bit of morality who say, this is not right. And generally that person who comes forward and says, this is not right, I'm going to tell the NRL, they get hated on and get mm-hmm. da- you know get sacked out of their club and treated like an you know, like absolute criminal because yeah. they did the right thing. I mean, you have to look at what happened to um, both Barry Andrews and, and Damien Irvine at the, uh, at the Sharks. There's so yeah. much good stuff for the club, but they're treated like absolute criminals by a lot of fans there because they did the right thing and they were honest. Yeah, and it's... You know, and I think it takes rugby league supporter bases to be a little bit smarter about the way they look at it. You know, um, if if you've got an administrator at your club that starts self-reporting, you should support them 100% because you should want your club to have integrity. You should want your club to be one of the clubs that can hold its head high and you know, if your club has done something wrong, own you should support owning up to it. And it's hard and it's going to put your club through a lot of pain and suffering. But the alternative is that you become a, a hated club. And I, I don't think anyone should want that for their club for any reason at all. Because it's just not healthy long term for any club to, to get in that situation. No, I fully agree, mate. Um, yeah, I tell you what, I think we've gone through that insanely I've got, thoroughly. I, I've got a question for you. If you were going to break yeah. the cap, how would you break it? I think flagrantly. Because yeah. I think so much of what happens these days mm. is um, is sneaky and tricky, and I think the NRL is looking for really complicated ways to break the cap. Yeah. So I think if you're going to do it, you do it flagrantly um, because I don't think they're looking for the obvious. I think they're looking for the really tricky. And mm-hmm. <laughs> the problem is you, you're going to get caught out somewhere or another. But um, yeah, if you're going to do it, I'd probably say, right, line up, um, get your major sponsor to, to pay to pay some of your marquee players uh, mm-hmm. a payment on the side um, okay. and make it a, a fairly decent amount of money. Or have have the sponsors, I don't know, somehow tipping money into the club. And yeah. the club uses that, you know, away from sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. See, I, my way would be high-stakes poker. 
<laughs> I would invite players over to my house and I would just happen to lose all of this money every Sunday night to Poker. all my star players. Poker. You know, oh, geez, I've got nothing again. You know, I can't believe you keep willing, winning, Billy Slater. It's just incredible. Your luck is so good. How much have you won off the $500,000 you've got out of my pocket playing? But wow, that's incredible. And just remember you, that. Who knew you could get a royal flush with two cards? Unbelievable. Just, you know. You know, Billy's playing Snap. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> I saw shit, that reminds me. I saw a picture online, uh, and it was Kim Kardashian had been invited to a poker tournament, and she was sitting there, and she was she had glasses on, but they were mirrored glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just pull a Kim Kardashian and do that. I be like, I can't believe it. it's like you know what I've got. Um, that's how I would break the cap. The, the other question I have, have for you is, just in general, do you reckon the salary cap works? I do. Um, yeah. And that's the weird thing. It but, works but, really well. I mean, let's be honest. There's been, what, uh, 12 of the 16 teams have won a premiership since 2000. Mm. Um, and 13 of them, of the current sides, have won a premiership since the cap's been in place since 1990. Yeah, and um, like back, only back-to-back premiers that we've really had were the Broncos in the early 90s. Yep. Um, the competition, I mean, even this year is ridiculously close. The worst teams in the league are showing that they can beat other teams on their day. Uh, I mean, who, geez, I mean, you look at the teams now, the, Roost, uh, the Roosters are playing very well. The Storm are playing very well. The Rabbitohs are playing very well. But would you be shocked to see a team come out of nowhere? And, you know, would you be shocked to see the Panthers weirdly turn it around and win the Premiership? Or, you know, Eve, I mean, Parramatta go on a run and find themselves in the top six? Or the Sharks get their players back and find themselves there on grand final day? I mean, I don't think any of it is out of the question. Yeah, there's some teams there that I think um, would genuinely end up being up in the top eight, I think, when, when finals come around, like, uh, yeah, Cronulla, Brisbane, um, Penrith, the Cowboys potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got they've got the names on paper to get the job done. Um, but then you've got to see, sit there and go, right, well, who drops out of the top eight to fit them in? And that just, just sort of adds to the whole argument that, yeah, you know, we're trying to fit 12 or 13 teams into eight. And, and if you look at, say, and the Bulldogs are probably, I think it's fair to say that because of the circumstances that they're in, and we've talked about that in the podcast recently, the Bulldogs probably have the least amount of talent to work with this year. But you can look through that Bulldog side, and they've got some bloody handy players. And they're doing it on a pretty low... I mean, they would have to be really close to that low limit that you can spend on your salary cap this year. Oh, Foran's on $7 so that keeps them above it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that that does help. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But But yeah, look, the, the Bulldogs, though, they do have... I mean, there's, there are some similarities with that, that Panthers side in the uh, early 2000s. They've got a, such mm. a good group of young players there who mm. could be anything, and they just need that right bit of guidance. Um, 
So it's too early to tell whether Dean Pace is the right coach for that at the moment, but mm-hmm. I'd say that I'm enjoying watching the Bulldogs play more this year than I have in the last two years. Yeah, me too. And the thing that, because they started the season off looking terrible, really, really terrible, and then something just clicked with them about you know a month into the season. They play so hard, for, and they play the full 80 minutes, and they're playing teams that are better than them, just have more talent than them. But, man, they don't stop trying, and they they try a few different things, and I do. I, I agree with you. I love I love watching them play this year more than I have in other seasons, especially under um, Desi Hasler's under-7s coaching style that he had for the Bulldogs the last few years he was there. It was like, throw it to the big fella and let him run. Um uh, they they're fun to watch, and you know it, what what type of competition do we have where even the worst team in the competition is fun to watch, and is a team that is spending less than everyone else, has less talent than everyone else, and then it's still pretty good and they'll win games. That's a a pretty extraordinary thing, and I I dare say that I can't think of another team, I, I can't think of another competition in the whole world that I know of where absolutely. You know, any team going into a season, if they just hook it up, they could win it. And where the worst teams in the league are not that bad. No, it's... And that's the thing. As we're getting on, every year now seems to be getting so much closer. Mm. Um, Last year was a bit of an anomaly because the top eight got out to a bit of a lead over the rest of the competition, but they weren't... Skill-wise, they weren't leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. And no. so, yeah, it was it was one of the closest concerts we've ever had last year. And mm. this year's showing that it wasn't a fluke. We've got a lot mm-hmm. of close games this year as well. I mean, we've already had a ton of bloody golden point games already. So mm. it's it's pretty fascinating how the season's unfolding already. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more changes this to this ladder over the years. I mean, I mean over the season. I mean, to think we've got seven teams at the moment, all on two wins. Yeah. And, and, and like, you even look at last weekend's games where you had the West Tigers come into a game having just been thrashed by the Parramatta Eels. They may have an incredible comeback win against the Titans and the Eels lose. And then you have, like, the Canberra Raiders who are having a great season lose to Manly. It's just... It's such a close competition, and tipping it is a nightmare. Tipping oh. it is just stupid. Yeah, I've got a good story about footy tipping, actually. I was in a, um, you know, working down here in Melbourne a few years back, and I was in a, a footy tipping competition, and I, I, was in, I went into the AFL one and the NRL one, mm-hmm. and I'd been crap for years at footy tipping. I'd, mm-hmm. start, I'd argue that I still am. So this time around, I just went, you know what, I'm going to pick the entire season's tips before the season starts, just do everything round one to round 26, all in one go. Mm -hmm. And I came uh, second in the AFL tipping Mm. and I came third last in the NRL one. (laughs) (laughs) And I used the, the, my, my, the uh, system I used was based on ladder position from the previous year. Wow. And that, that showed you how consistent the AFL competition is and how erratic the NRL one is when it comes to results and team performances. Um, yeah, it was, I just went, you, if that's not an advertisement for how, how well the salary cap is and how 
even the NRL competition is, then, you know, I'm not here. Wow. That, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, and this, this, is, this episode's about salary cap cheating. And most of the episode's about how teams get around the salary cap, and yet the salary cap is there to have an even competition, the talent equalisation, and stop teams spending themselves to death, and it does a pretty good job at both. So um, good way to end the podcast, I reckon. Yeah, somewhere we've managed to talk about something that's not working and convince everyone that it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's a phenomenal way to leave yeah, it. It's just the most confusing <laughs> podcast in the world. That's what we're aiming for. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, just before we wrap up, just to let everyone know, we do now have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're on Facebook, it's Fergo and the Freak. Um, we'll have the link in the uh, in the the posts, uh, all the podcasts will be automatically updated to there. We're working on a Twitter one. Um, I had a bit of a stuff up during the week as I was setting it up because I put in there the date of our first episode as the birth date, and apparently Twitter's not not available for people who are under the age of 13 without yeah, putting weird. in your they, passport. They don't like newborns having Twitter accounts, hey? It's yeah. very strange. It's they like, needed a know. passport, and yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't get a, a passport picture for, of a robot, so... Yeah. Oh, they don't know. accept those, apparently. I think, you know, a Twitter account for a newborn would be pretty good. Like, you know, what would they tweet about? Oh, geez, where my umbilical cord come out is really itchy today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's late. What, Things got weird. I'm sorry. What's this, what's this warm stuff coming out of my backside? <laughs> and then just and just for the next next 18 months, it's a, uh-oh, happened again. Yeah. Uh-oh, happened again. I've had another accident. Jeez. And then once they turn one, it's um, what's this taste like? (laughs) Shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, no. What's this taste like? Shouldn't have eaten that. Two years after that, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to eat that. (laughs) And then they become football players and they're like, oh, yeah, this hotel will do. What happens if I put my dick in there? Yeah. Oh, is that a shoe? Let's take it and find out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow, this went off the rails. We, we we have a tendency to do that. I've, yeah. got this, I've got this theory that people sit there and suffer through the hour or so of the episode just to listen to the, the five minutes of drivel at the end. Yeah, pretty much. I reckon one day someone's going to cut out the last ten minutes of each of our podcasts and just you know have it as a, a monument to like you know mental illnesses and stuff. <laughs> that's that's something I'll probably end up doing. <laughs> might we'll be our best episode ever, right? Yeah. Just do a, a compilation. compilation of our greatest hits. Yeah. We'll just do all of those bits at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic! Alrighty, well, yeah, um, yeah. Check out our Facebook page. Um, we'll have our Twitter account up sometime soon, with any luck. Um, that will be uh, at Virgo and Freak. We'll also have, um, yeah, we're working actually also to try and get the podcast possibly even onto YouTube. Oh, God, we're trying to put it everywhere. You won't be able That's to move without said. seeing it. That's what she said, too. <laughs> Not to me, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can uh, send, us an, send us an email if you want to get in touch with us, uh, podcast at leaguefreak.com. Um, catch us on Twitter, at leaguefreak, at andrewrp. And, uh, yeah. Any other final words, mate? No, it's a good episode. I'm glad we did this one. This one's in the bag, in the can, and uh, on to new subjects. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is a bit longer too, so that's good too. Okay, we'll catch you later. See ya.